Pages 874 and 875 in the hymnal. We're looking together today to Lord's Day 6 of the Catechism, beginning with question and answer 16. Let's read these responsively. Why must the mediator be a true and righteous man? Because God's justice requires that human nature, which has sinned, must pay for its sin. But a sinner could never pay for others. Question 17. Why must he also be true God? So that by the power of his divinity, he might bear in his humanity the weight of God's wrath and earn for us and restore to us righteousness and life. Question 18. Then who is this mediator? True God and at the same time time a true and righteous man. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who was given to us for our complete deliverance and righteousness. And question 19. How do you come to know this? The Holy Gospel tells me. God himself began to reveal the gospel already in paradise. Later, he proclaimed it by the holy patriarchs and prophets and foreshadowed it by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. And finally, he fulfilled it through his own beloved son. Amen. Let's go to the Lord now and ask for the Holy Spirit's help. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you to look upon us in grace as we look away from ourselves into the face of your Son, whom you have appointed our mediator and Savior. As all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in your Son, guide us by your Spirit into the true understanding of the doctrines of Christ. May our meditation upon his truth produce in us the fruit of righteousness, to the glory and exaltation of his name, the instruction and building up of this congregation, and the salvation of the lost through our witness. We pray this in the name and favor of your well-beloved Son, Jesus Christ, in dependence on his Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, tonight we've come to uh, the questions that lead us to question 19. How do you come to know this? And I think if you, uh, if you worship with us a lot in the morning service, you hear a similar question earlier in the catechism. How do you come to know your misery? The answer is that the law of God tells us. Now here we come to another question. How do you come to know this? How do you come to know about the mediator? The answer is the Holy Gospel tells me. We have these two particular kinds of words from God. The law which reveals to us our sin and misery and the gospel which reveals the mediator. And tonight we come to that grand topic of Jesus Christ, our mediator, and the great high priest who has laid down a sufficient sacrifice. Kids, when you get in a fight with your sibling or with a friend, have you ever had to ask a parent to help out, get that settled? Surely you always figure it out, just the two of you or whoever you're fighting with. But I have a feeling sometimes you have to ask your parent to help out, to come and figure out a way to make peace. When that happens, your mom or dad is acting as a mediator. A mediator. It's a big word, but that's all we're talking about. It's somebody who comes in and helps to make peace. 
between those who are in a fight. And that is an idea, brothers and sisters, that we find in the Scriptures. One of the words that the Bible uses for this has to do with someone being a go-between among people who have some kind of grievance with each other. They're upset with each other. It may be grand in scale, leading to a war, or it may be an interpersonal conflict of some sort, but a mediator is a go-between. There are other words that the Bible uses. Another word has to do with somebody standing in the gap to pray for the two parties that are involved in this grievance. And this teaches us that according to Scripture, a mediator intercedes. Mediator intercedes. He's a go-between who intercedes. In our English Bibles in the Old Testament, we find words like intercessor, arbitrator, arbitrator, and someone who intervenes. In the New Testament, the main word that is used is simply that word mediator. We're talking about basically the same concept, the same function. A mediator is a bridge builder. A mediator connects things that otherwise have a wide gap in between them. And the Holy Scriptures teach us that Christ is our bridge builder. He has bridged the gap between the all-holy and just God and us, sinful human beings. And today we're looking close at this particular topic by answering three questions. That, that's our outline tonight. The first question we're going to answer is, what is a mediator? According to Scripture, we're going to get a, an insight into that. Secondly, how is Christ our mediator? And third, where do we learn this? Where do we learn it? So first then, the question is, what is a mediator? Again, when there is a disagreement between different, different parties in a relationship, the mediator is the go-between to reach a peaceful conclusion. That's when there's a disagreement between people. When that disagreement is between people and God, a mediator is the go-between that makes peace through that particular work of intercession. Intercession has to take place. And intercession in the Bible happens in two distinct ways. It happens through prayer, and it happens through sacrifice. There's an interceding between the people and God through the acts of prayer and through sacrifice. And we have a great example of this in Moses. Moses is called the mediator of the Old Covenant. And the Old Covenant is that covenant that God made with the nation of Israel when he brought them out of Egypt to Mount Sinai and entered into this agreement with them. Moses was on the mountaintop and down below the people were making an idol with the very gold that God provided for them by plundering their enemies, the Egyptians. They melted this gold down and fashioned it into an idol. Their own newly minted priest, Aaron, made it for them. And... In light of this, the Lord threatened to destroy them and start over with Moses alone or else to just not come with them into the promised land, to not have his presence with them. And so there are two parties here, God and the Israelites, and they have a sharp, high stakes disagreement that has broken out among them. 
Moses is the mediator. And in Exodus 33, we read earlier, Moses goes to the Lord in intercessory prayer. That is this dialogue that he has with the Lord. He is interceding on behalf of the people. What's involved with this prayer? This is very instructive just for our own prayer life as we think of the best way to pray for others. First, Moses remembers God's promises. He remembers God's promises. So prayer is actually a response to what God has already said. We're really not mustering up anything when we pray. We're merely responding to what God has already spoken. He speaks and then we speak. And Moses teaches us to remember God's promises in particular. He says, God, you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. That's verse 12 of Exodus 33. The Lord had already revealed to Moses that he knew him by name, that Moses was his favored servant, meaning that he had, a, he had the, the grace of God resting upon him. Moses pleads the promise. Secondly, Moses also pleads for grace on behalf of the people. Knowing that he, as the mediator, has the favor of God upon him, he now stands in the gap and pleads for grace on behalf of the people. And he says in verse 13, Consider, too, that this nation is your people. There's the covenant formula. I will be your God, you will be my people. And Moses says, you called them your people, God. You made a covenant with them. Show them your grace. And the Lord responds, and he says, This very thing you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight. Verse 17. Now, Psalm 106 looks back on this event, and here's that key phrase for how it describes it. It says, God said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. There aren't many better definitions of mediation in the Bible than that right there. A breach has taken place. You think of a wall, a nice firm wall, and now there's a big section that is knocked down. There's a breach there. And Moses has stood in the breach as the mediator of the Old Covenant, and he has built a bridge through the act of intercession. He has prayed on behalf of the people. He has lifted up the people of God back to their God and pleaded with the Lord that he would show them grace and mercy. And when that breach is between God and human beings, that is exactly what the human beings need. They need a mediator to stand in for them, to intercede through prayer or sacrifice or both. That's what a mediator is. The second question we're asking tonight is, how is Christ our mediator? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, very clearly and expressly says, There is only one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. Throughout the Old Testament, there were several people who came forward to build that bridge between God and man. But none of them did it perfectly. And so here Paul is pointing out Christ as uniquely fitting the office of mediator. There's only one true mediator between God and men, he says. All the others that came before, they weren't perfect. And they weren't perfect because they themselves were also stained with sin. 
Moses was a sinner too. Now he may have been on the mountaintop when the people were committing idolatry down at the bottom. But even Moses was punished with not being able to come into the promised land because of his own sin. He's a sinner like the rest. So he was a mediator, but he was not the mediator. And many times more, Moses had to stand in the breach. And after he was dead, many more had to do the same. So we have this idea of mediator. We've got offices, this office being fulfilled by particular people throughout the Old Testament. But they are faulty, stained with sin. They're imperfect. So they can't possibly be the mediator. What would happen if an engineering company built a bridge with faulty tools? The saws are bent. They're not cutting the wood straight. Welding machines aren't hot enough to shape and attach the metal beams. The bolts and screws are rusted through. You may have something that looks like a bridge at the end. It's not going to last very long, though, is it? And all merely human mediators built bridges kind of like that. They were sinful men, and they came with a faulty set of tools. And though they built bridges that kind of stood the test for a time in God's design and in God's providence, nevertheless, they couldn't last. They could intercede with prayers and sacrifices, but their efforts always fell short in the end. Why is that? Because God is holy. And the punishment that must be doled out to sinful people in response to a holy and just God is of an eternal nature, as we've been arguing the last few weeks. Eternal punishment is the stakes that we're dealing with here. God is holy. And the intercessors, the mediators, were not Neither were the people. And on top of that, God is God. And these mediators were mere men. Mere men. And so in the end, there is only one who can build that lasting bridge. He must be not just a man, but a righteous man. Perfectly righteous in order to bridge the gap between the completely holy and righteous God and sinful people. The one who stands in the gap has to be a righteous man in order to represent the people. You've got to have a good representative. You have to have a sufficient representative. And a representative of the sinful people must be a human being who is righteous. But the bridge builder, the mediator, must also be truly God. Otherwise, God doesn't have a true representative in this covenantal transaction that's going, that's going down here. The mediator must represent both parties in the disagreement, and he has to represent them perfectly if there's going to be peace. Otherwise, it's a faulty bridge that's being built like all the rest. Question 18 asks, then who is this mediator? True God and at the same time, true and righteous man. And the answer is our Lord Jesus Christ, who was given to us, for our, here it is, complete deliverance and righteousness. Complete. Perfect. The satisfaction, and we, we use this term to talk about Christ's sacrifice. The satisfaction which he has laid down 
is perfect. There's no other sacrifice that needs to be laid down. We said this last week. And the righteousness that he has offered to his people is complete. So that when we by faith receive the mediator, we receive the unbreakable bridge building righteousness of Jesus Christ. There's nothing else that can be added. Not through our works. Not even through contrition and repentance. Certainly not through works of penance. There's nothing that can be added to this. His righteousness stands as perfect. And our reading from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 shows us how Christ has done this. Peter says, Christ also suffered once for sins. And he's saying here once because he's not like the other mediators, the other priests who had to keep offering more sacrifices continually, one after another. But this suffering that Christ has undergone is once for all. It is once laid down for all sins. And here Peter says, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. (coughs) Building bridges. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. To bring us to God. To usher otherwise sinful and condemned human beings into the very presence of the holy God. Jesus Christ has united us to himself and delivered us into the hands of his Father. He is righteous and true God. A righteous man, that is, and true God. So yeah, as as Paul says, the man Jesus Christ is the only mediator. The man. He's a human being, but he's perfectly righteous. He has not built bridges with cracks and loose cables. He did not just make peace possible between the parties. He accomplished the peace. It has been done. And by his one sacrifice, he has turned away the anger and wrath of God forever. That's what that word propitiation means. You hear that sometimes in our communion liturgy. There's no other propitiatory sacrifice to offer to God. Christ has now laid down that one single propitiatory sacrifice and forever turned away the almighty wrath of God. That is the sense in which Christ is our mediator, the true and perfect one. Lastly, tonight we ask the question, where do we learn this? Question and answer 19 teaches us that the entire Bible teaches us about this mediator. How do you come to know this? The Holy Gospel tells me is how we answer that question. And where do we find that Holy Gospel? Everywhere, from the garden onwards. There was already gospel preaching taking place in the Garden of Eden. When God said that the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent. That was a gospel sermon. And this message that was, you know, that's not very detailed. Pretty shadowy at first. But that message that was so shadowy at the beginning took on more and more details. As God revealed more and more about it. As he continued to enter into covenants with his people. He revealed more. He put more skin on the bone, so to speak. The the seed of these promises, of this gospel promise, began to germinate and take root and grow into the great tree. And so he already was proclaiming the promise of the gospel in the garden. And later he began to 
describe what this mediator would be like through the words of the prophets. The prophecies that come, the messianic prophecies and those that aren't even directly messianic. They all bear witness about Christ, describing him for us ahead of time. God previewed the mediator in the sacrifices and ceremonies of the law. So that when the people of God brought their offering to the priest and the blood was spilt, they had to know that there were better things to come, as we learned last week. The Lord gave pictures of the mediator in characters like Abraham and Moses and David and many others. In other words, brothers and sisters, the peacemaking work of Jesus Christ is the central storyline of the Bible. It's the central storyline of the entire Bible. And all the major plot points of that story are shown to us through a series of covenants. Christ is the substance of the Holy Scriptures. He is at the center of all the covenants that God has made. And in the weeks to come, we're going to be looking at those covenants in as orderly of a way as we can, recognizing how God has used this mechanism of covenant to build a relationship with his people and to have a firm foundation for that relationship to stand on. We'll do that with the hope that Christ's saving work will become clearer to our hearts and that we as the people of God might be better equipped to discover that saving work, not just in one or two passages here and here, here and there, not just in the New Testament, but in the entire Bible. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God, you build your church on the foundation of the doctrine of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And so we pray that you would bless our congregation to grow in their teaching. Assist us in meditating with joy on your mighty acts. Enlighten our minds more and more with the light of the everlasting gospel. Kindle our hearts with love of your truth. Nourish us with the full counsel of the word of God. Enable us to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints and defend us from the sins of heresy and schism. And as we have heard the true doctrine proclaimed to us, by your great blessing may it be preserved among us and propagated through us by our lips and lives to the glory of the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people said together, Amen. Amen.